25 years of Vampire the Masquerade presents Vampire the Requiem. Hi everybody, welcome back to 25 Years Presents Requiem. And uh, here in part two in a second episode, I'm once again rejoined by, of course, Chris. Hey everybody, how's it going? And Brennan. Hey everyone. Well, everyone. If uh, last week was any insight, it's uh, pretty good to see that there are a lot of Requiem fans out there uh, chiming in, kind of getting words, questions, things like that into, and uh, we're, we're getting those back out to you as fast as we can. Um, keep it up. Keep them coming. We we love hearing from you. Um, but where we left last time, we started to walk into Coteries a bit. Mm-hmm. Now, I had hinted that Coteries are a bit different in Requiem, at least their way of presenting them. But before we do that, how do we commonly see what a Coterie is? I I think we... Typically speaking, because of the way that Coterie has been brought over to us before, uh, it's just, hey, this is our, our player troop, right? So this is this is essentially everyone's just getting together. Here's how we're all kind of just sitting around together and or like creating our group. Boom. That's where it is. But that's how it was brought to us before. Brendan, I'll give you lead on this one now. They usually have a very specific purpose. Uh, it can be a long term purpose of, you know, they're grouping together to survive or they're coming together to just achieve a short-term goal. Uh, typically, um, we can get into like a, a lot of specifics about this because typically coming together for short-term goals, it's going to be something that the older ones do, right? And I, I actually kind of liked this because this, this really give me, gave me a, an impression that uh, the, the new kindred, the new vampires, they're really kind of scrambling about, right? Like they're just trying to keep their heads above water, but as they keep going, they kind of like have a, they come into a stride. Right. And because of that, they don't need any other people until they actually well need them. And I think that's also awesome because hint, hint, I think we're starting to see this in V5 if we haven't already. But here's where you start seeing the ground roots of it. Typically, before everyone's like, well, what's what's the purpose of our coterie? It's much the same way in terms of like, well, why do we exist in the first place? This is all thematic to that. And the fact that not every coterie has to remain the same is very fun for many reasons. Right. One, it gives you a purpose for the type of game that you are playing, but B, let's say that that chronicle's over, you want to start up new characters, no problem. Or you could bring in different NPCs that you'll be able to interact with uh, to help you achieve that particular goal. And I think that's what makes it really dynamic and at the forefront um, by comparison to, to Masquerade. I think the most important part here is that Coteries have been a misunderstood conception for quite some time. Requiem simply defines it. Mm-hmm. Coterie always was meant that you were formed for a purpose, you're formed together for a reason. They just left it up to the player to be the fuel for that reason. Which we saw doesn't work, right? That's what it comes <laughs> down to. No, no player coterie ever in Masquerade <laughs> did I hear. We're formed to do this, and they're going to work towards that objective and get that objective done. Never seen it. Never, right? I've always heard that's what they meant to do. Or you'll hear someone say, well, I always intended to use the group to do this. I always intended. But you never see them work toward it. Well, what do we learn here? We learn that people out of a hat aren't going to assign roles responsibility uh, for a group. They're going to do it for themselves because they know what they want, and they know what they could do to accomplish it. And often you'll find people solo play uh, to to get that done. It doesn't really include everybody in the fun, and it doesn't really, it's not it's not to the intention of the purpose of Coder. Now, in Requiem, like you said, they're formed for a purpose, can be temporary, typically it is. It should stay temporary. That's the point, right? I used the analogy uh, a while ago that uh, the fact of Dungeons & Dragons being successful is because they introduce a family feel to the player group. We're united together to come for a purpose, to actually grow together, to adventure as a unit and everybody has a role and everybody's assigned to handle the same. If you call in our troop, it is because you want dragon X death <laughs> and you heard that we are good at killing <laughs> dragon X, right? So we got that here. We could do that. We got the heels. We got the blah, 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 blah. All right, great. 
hold that mentality. But look at Coteries now on Requiem. If I am the prince of a domain and I know what players are coming in as an ST, I'm going to use that prince to assign them and do a task that heavy hitters do. Mm-hmm. Right? I'm not going to use people to please go and invite the new blah, blah, blah over to see me. Be careful with them. And you're the most aggressive Coterie ever. Right? It's not going to go well. You may be thinking, isn't that obvious? No, it's not. <laughs> why i mentioned the podcast it's not it's not it's not obvious at all in fact there's a lot of people who do not get that coterie is critical uh, to what you're doing even in v5 we get to coterie types and people sputter and stutter and get stuck why we've confined them we said that here's a here's a thing you got to fit into with assigned points to figure out where they go to characters that almost fit and then maybe don't and then we're forgetting that in that book, same book they said adjust the fit mm-hmm just trim what you want. We gave you an idea and run with it, but we fail to see a dynamic, don't we? That in a book, once written, it is as unto God. <laughs> People hate bending from the book, the holy Bible. Mm-hmm. They, they hate it. They hate it. So that, that you can put in there a thousand times. Do what you want, but here's some ten cool ways we came up with what you could do. We want the ten cool ways. We don't want our hodgepodge homebrewed nonsense. We want one of the cool ways to work, so let's just adjust. And then uh, that's where you get the complaint. That's the pain point. Mm-hmm. Here you see in Requiem, no pain point. Build your character. Don't worry about Coterie. Build your character. When you get in game, I as an ST know what you're making. I know what's in the backdrop, and this game is almost formulaic built to where once you get there, I have my I have my reason automatically to put you together. You built a fighter type. You built a social type. You built an investigator. Turns out, I have a murder mystery. <laughs> see how that works? I have just a thing for you. <laughs> right? By the way, do I have to be the prince? Absolutely not. Nope. No. In fact, this is why I love Requiem. Mm-hmm. Is because they pitched the idea that you're new on the block, kid. You just came into the city. We're not even going to tell you about Night Society. Why? I'm Jermaine, and I own this whole lovely strip mall you see before you. And you like feeding here, don't you? Note how every night when Tammy gets off work, she has no problem having a cigarette with you, and you get a mouthful of the good stuff. Isn't that great? You know why Tammy doesn't remember that, though? You are a brute. She doesn't remember it because I take care of it. I am Jermaine. You owe me. Because you like Tammy and you like where we're at, I got things I want you to do. You wouldn't happen to be willing to work off a debt, would you? I've been feeding you. The very least you could do is help me with a problem. What's that problem? I don't know. I'm storyteller Bob, and this is a podcast. I'm not going to run a game for you. So that's me, that's me being funny here. Uh, but the idea, you get the idea. From there, you can yep. pitch him anything and like just go get this done. Now, Jermaine could be someone, your whole coterie is like, let's do away with that guy and take his block. Yeah, have at it. Welcome to Requiem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's how it works. You know, careful who you treat like cat, you know, crap there, Jermaine. But that intricacy is something that has to be focused on. Because when you don't, here's why I say have to. Think about it at the very least. That opportunity already sets up players to be together to avoid a lot of the mishaps you would in a game. For instance, I was reading Requiem and remember how when we started a game, everybody got caught up in that in that predator's taint. Mm-hmm. Right? You're in a scene. We go to meet at a place. <sighs> You're greater than me. <gasps> I should be afraid of you. I don't want to be afraid of him. I'm blowing a willpower. Screw this guy. You know, whatever. You know, just getting mad about it. I don't want to have to deal with this. Right? There's stuff like that. I don't want to acknowledge that there's a predator's taint. Mm-hmm. All this hullabaloo. Why? Because it's competition. You may think it's not competition, but every single coterie, every group of people that sit down at a table. If they're going to work together, but they don't have a common origin story, they are opposition until they break down that wall. And how they got to break down that wall is everything. So naturally, they're going to be a little catty at first. And Requiem has an innate thing that makes you that way because they're predators. Right. That could be a very long way to start a game. 
what I'm saying. Is that accurate? I think so. I mean, it is accurate, but that's that's how every story starts. And now it comes the uh, the relationship building, right? Mm-hmm. If uh, if we're two cats, you got that alley, I got this alley, but we got to do the Sally thing together. What are we going to do about this? It also develops an interesting story because later down the route, once that coterie is done fulfilling its purpose, you might be like, man, that Bob was a real son of a bitch, but I don't know if I could live without him. I mean, he he gives me a reason to at least wake up every evening, at least talk to someone else. God damn it. All right, Bob, what are you doing this evening? All right, well, I, I might have another job for you, right? Or do you need any help? Or conversely, Bob might be the stepping block you need to get that new title in the Invictus. You know, all really depends on how that coterie uh, finishes their uh, their purpose. And that's, that's good insight. I mean, that's basically, excuse me, uh, answering on the head. That's why you have coterie. Mm-hmm. It's it's the hard it's the hardball figure that I'll give you a purpose out the gate without having to go through a bit of discomfort and getting to know one another, right? Because ultimately, it doesn't matter how I feel about you. We're all here to the same purpose, dancing that guy or woman's uh, intentions because we all need something or we're getting something from it. You know, that's that's the point. Now we're hoping that uh, relationships blossom from there. And a bit a tidbit to that, coterie requires a lot of work for the players at the table. Mm-hmm. You need to understand. You don't have to love the person you're role-playing with, their character, but you need to understand that out of character, you are empowered to say, I'm really not going to get along with that type of character role-play, right? That's something a storyteller should work out long ago. We talk about this a lot in understanding the troop you're with, but even if you're playing where, uh, you know, people who don't know each other are showing up because of an advert or whatever you put out there, they're coming to your table as guests, you guys got to spend time together um, and understand that, you know, or at least set the expectation that uh, here's the setting type and style, here's what's approved in know what you're making and work with it get along to get along is gold mm-hmm. when it comes to role playing with everybody else you know involve each other as much as you can and um because no system is going to be perfectly written to where everybody's happy that's just the truth mm-hmm. that said that's coteries so if we got a coterie idea and we know what's going on and we have a bit of what the you know all the covenants were discussed <laughs> already at least to a general factor we need to talk about vampire culture though there is a culture you know they, they simply call it dead culture in the book mm-hmm. But there is an aspect here of, of what's going on. Um, typically, though, do you guys know uh, do you guys know what I'm referring to when I mention that dead culture? Oh, and I'm not talking about covenants or princely hierarchy. Are you talking about the uh, well, I mean, the uh, basically it's a society of predators, right? There's like in the dance macabre, yes. there's this game where you're if if it was a game that has a scoreboard that your scores would be tracked by your influence amongst the mortals and your kindred allies. Is that what you're referring to? It's an interesting way of looking at that, that status would be targeted first. I think uh, mistakenly it is. Um, What it is, is it's simply referring to how they are. A culture is how governing body is what they're hinting to here. That there's a, the primary purpose of Kindred getting along at all in their society is to make sure that they have um, regulation. Mm -hmm. They, They need to have it. You know, you have beings of immortal power walking around as predators. There needs to be some checks and balances to keep it well civil, right? All out war is not the norm. This is different than Masquerade, mm-hmm. right? Masquerade already has an innate culture built in, authority established. It's universal. It's it's worldwide as to how every kindred's going to... Hardestad said it, so it is. Right. And the Sabbat oppose it, but even the Sabbat have theirs and the Anarchs have theirs. But we're seeing in Requiem, it empowers you to have individualistic approaches to this. Because mm-hmm. you can have a dead culture, right? We do know that there's supposed to be regulation. And we also know that it's not in mere physical proximity either of one another. It's the fact that because we're stacked on top of each other or that we might have territory, each domain has their own choice as to how they choose to govern it, right? And empower it, right? If I'm strong enough, you can have a game on a, I don't know, let's say it's Chicago. Let's just give an example. Mm -hmm. 
And in Chicago, there already is a hierarchy in Requiem 100%, right? Prince Maxwell, we get that. Yep. Has this chunk of change. Nothing says that our game isn't ran with a smaller focus. We're paying attention to the west side of Chicago. Mm-hmm. And the coterie is only allowed between these city blocks. And now that they're here, the game is the focus of how they handle night to night there. But to go to Maxwell's courts, consider this high lofty mucky muck that you never want to have to do. But you're focused over here or F his court. We're Carthians. We don't dance to his tune. We don't deal with none of that. We're over here figuring out. But this is the only the small place we have mm-hmm. in the area. Now we're battling to grow that turf. Well, that's dead culture. Requiem's highlighting the fact that, uh, or at least I feel, it's granting you the motivation to, uh, well, to build that up. That's what I'm referring to. You get you have any insight about that anymore? Is it just, you know, pretty much bland as the book? But it's not bland in the book, but as I've already stated. As is written, right? As people interpret it. But, you know, especially for when we when we took a look at Requiem the first time around, and by, I say me, uh, or we rather, it's like folks who, who gave it the first shot. And they, they take a look and they go past the powers and start reading it. There's like, all right, a, a lot of this stuff gets glossed over because we we anticipate that it's going to have some semblance to masquerade, right? So we're like, oh, okay, I, I can skip this, skip this. Don't, don't. Because this this particular section, what makes it interesting, and especially when it comes to the culture and the way that everything's treated, covenants also act different by domain, mm-hmm. by their culture, right? So an Invictus that might be in Detroit is not going to act like an Invictus in Chicago, is not going to act like another Invictus member or their uh, the way that they rule their societies overseas and such. This gives you, and this is what's really cool about it, it gives you as a storyteller that much more influence over how you want to run the covenants as they are presented. It gives you that much more influence of what is permissible versus not permissible within your city, within that particular domain. It blasts open the doors, and I think that's what's really cool about it because you don't have to worry about such things as the overall, you know, the weight of the camera or, or a sack behind you. Um, this is one of the very, very, very key points of Requiem that gives you that much more ability to focus on the character instead of just being a cog in the bigger wheel. That wheel is only that city, mm-hmm. which means that your impact within that city, for better or worse, um, puts that much more of a spotlight on you. That's a good thing. Uh, I liked a lot about a culture established and defined, um, and it's almost, it, it's malleable. That's, that's a cool thing. Um, because at the end of the day, when players want to feel ownership, Right, which is we all do as players. We want to feel that we have something and we've built something and we're defending something. Mm-hmm. That's one of the great ways to do it. You make it a microcosm that has to be cared for. And rolling into that microcosm, though, is this also term that the elders use called the gilded cage. Right. Or better said, let me ask the question. Why are vampires in cities? That's where the food is. I was about to say that's <laughs> that's where the food be. In in greatest concentrations, right there. There's food out in rural towns. But to in order to have a food source that can sustain a, a vampire society. You need a lot of people for that, which is going to be in a city. Here's, here's where we get to that ridiculous notion. I say ridiculous. Cause I always find it funny. Someone sat down and statistically said something like for every, what is it? One vampire needs a hundred thousand people. And we, and we uh, kind of see that in this book rise again. Mm-hmm. That's still mentioned. Uh, but then they dispel it. Yeah. Yes. Right. They mention it could be, you know, one, a hundred thousand or 50 or whatever. <laughs> it depends on how it's set up. Uh huh. Right. Folks, it's not sophisticated to figure out. If you have a number one through ten, and you lose a point a night, and you need to feed occasionally, you could feed every other night, and you don't need a hundred thousand people to do it. I think that's think that's obvious, right? We we can see the logic in it, Mm -hmm. but it's like, well, how do you cover it up? What if you frenzy very freaking carefully? (laughs) That's the answer to that, right? There's there's no no logistics is going to help you with that. So circumstantial, it's out of the cage, Mm -hmm. right? But I think it's great that they go into that definition. They they go into it and gently push it to the side, unlike I just did. But uh. Looking at it even better, it's like, okay, great. They want to stay near the well. You know, stay where the water is because we be thirsty. All right, check. Um, but it's also about safety and control. 
right? There is a fear of losing what you've already obtained. Mm -hmm. If I am rich and powerful in Chicago and my whim grants me all things I could possibly want, why would I ever leave? Right. The answer is because Hawaii is beautiful. Right. That's, that should be what's said. What? But it's not because you know you know how I, I look at this and it's it uh let's put this into a much more real world perspective, right? It's very, very stupid, but I'll just throw it out there. Why do you care about how much that Mickey Mantle baseball card is worth? It only matters to people who give a shit about it, right? So if you could only do it within a city in that particular domain, people only care about your power that you've accumulated amongst the people who actually care about it, right? Those those kindred are the ones that are gonna the you know echo chamber it back to you. You moving elsewhere is not gonna matter. So here we are. We're stuck within these four walls. You, me, and he, and she, and they. What are we going to do about this? It's it's an interesting trap, right? Talks about the fact that it's like a it's like a prison. They didn't authors didn't realize they're describing prison. Um, and I'm not saying I've been there. You know, watch enough, read enough. You know, you start put you start piecing it together. If prison's a solitary area, where in there, you know, you start from nothing. Welcome to being a neonate. Mm-hmm. Well, after a while, you do enough. Eventually, you start becoming a staple, a mainstay to someone. They see you enough. You belong there enough. You belong. Well, now that you belong, you're just doing time. Well, we're talking about immortals here. So they make it, it's a gilded cage, as they said. Prison is not. But this is a gilded cage and uh, for vampires. And in that analogy, it's just that mentality seems very similar to me. They're immortal. You, uh, you can listen to poets in prison, write about how they feel it's forever. And uh, it kind of gives the same feel, the same aspect that this, this ennui is not just ennui. Your enemy is your thoughts. Mm-hmm. It is your ability to handle the enormity of time um, and where you're at. And then it starts getting dark. Now, this is where I cut the prison analogy. For vampires, that's safety and controls everything. It's all about us not getting hurt because we know this area. We were here when they put the, we were here when they mixed the cement to lay a new foundation from the forest they burn cleared for the land itself. And that was 50 years ago, right? So we know this neighborhood and we know everybody here. It would be interesting to see a player acknowledge the fact that, okay, your character's only 50 years old, but understand this the people here now that are in their 20s, you know them. Mm-hmm. You know them intimately well, right? How messed up would it be an infant that you didn't care about comes up and hits on you and you know the family they came from, right? But you haven't aged physically. You still look the same. You're just their type. That would mess with a lot of people. Like, how do you get behind that? That's just a telltale sign of what, you know, that would do. What if you were a century old, right? What if it gets worse, right? In the same area. But there's safety in knowing and controlling that outcome. Like, you can make it to where you died or you're away from that neighborhood, but still keep tabs to it because you know you're too well known there. Right. You can kind of it's kind of a good feeling there that you have that much control in a microcosm. Mm-hmm. There's, a, there's also the fact that if you're combined in safety, you know, via numbers, you can handle stronger predators. It just makes more sense. Right. Why would I leave a city where if I'm the prince and I have a coterie and we're all here defending and holding it down? I'm not going to leave where we don't have that. Like you said, Brendron, it's resetting it. I'm now nobody when I go somewhere. And what, what's, what's that going to do? You know, I have to start all over again. I think not. You'll have to drive me from my cold, dead hands. You know what I mean? <laughs> good those things. But it's not so bad in terms of social support. I think a lot of people don't understand the psychology behind a vampire is not that drastically different from a mortal. You were once mortal. You still have a base need as a higher creature of thought to want to be around other creatures of similar thought, right? Otherwise, you're just trapped in your head. What's the difference between you and a person alone on an island going insane if it's not that way? So you counter ideas. You want to hear people that have discovered new things in the world and like different things or like the same thing. And why do they like it to find interest in the whole nine? You're humans. You live this life same as I do. You need social engagement and that supports there. But for vampires, it goes deeper. It is not kill the person who breaks the masquerade because of feeding frenzy. It's not. 
I understand that every every prince everywhere wants to just execute someone who breaks the masquerade. There's a truth to the fact that if you know they're a neonate, you know they're frenzying. Mm-hmm. At some point, they're going to have a messy feeding. What you yep. want is people there to watch out for them to clean that up. And there's social support for that. But if there's no social support and no one helped them, and it's still a problem, and it's a glaring one, that's when the prince's hand is forced and they have to step in and do something. Because why wasn't this neonate helped out? I acknowledge them. That's the sire. This mess is whose, exactly. And you get into that. But if the social support is there, it gets cleaned up. Debts are made. Debts are paid. Mm -hmm. And you call it a day. That's another function of that survival aspect. But then you get into loneliness, too. You guys played Requiem a lot longer than I did, but this game's written from a lonely, depressing-hearted hand. Even talking about the Requiem being this, you know, what what did you call it last time, DJ? The dirge. (laughs) The The dirge dirge of her funeral. Pretty morbid. I myself don't like feeling that depressed in anything I play, but I get the reference, right? That's yep. counter it. You have that face, Brad Trout. It's like I said that. It's like I, I, I punched you. I, I'm trying uh, to punch you. I'm just saying. Yeah, my, my, my gut reaction was if you don't want to play something that depressing, like I almost feel like there there was that in, initial thought, like maybe vampire isn't for you because it should be depressing. You are something that what? is a blood sucking monster railing against it. Time out. Sorry. Time out. No, no, no. Why is that depressing? Uh, because of the nature of what you are as a vampire. I, I say it's a game and I say it's meant for fun. And I say that if I'm playing a Requiem, I should I should not be sitting here thinking, woe is me. Oh, I'm Droopy okay. the Dog. Okay, you're talking about and you because the player, of it, right? You're not talking about like... I'm talking about all of the above. Okay. Like, if I'm playing a vampire, even if I'm a vampire and I'm an immortal, mm-hmm. if I'm walking around going, I'm so alone, we are so alone. Yeah, good luck killing yourself. You just slit your yeah, wrist. No, okay, I'm not yeah, saying... that's going to work. What, are you going to hang yourself with a rope? No, I'm not <laughs> saying everyone the, should like, be like vampire Eeyore. Okay, but that should be there. That should be like somewhere on the back of your mind to some degree, right? So maybe I should have qualified that a little bit more. Maybe quantified? I don't, I don't know. Yes. <laughs> so, All right. to bring you back to what I'm talking about exactly, I can't save that. What you said was what you said. I get it. But the point is, is that I think it's written with a depressing overtone mm-hmm. to hammer into your head that loneliness piece that they want to land when it comes to why you socialize. Mm-hmm. Yes. To answer a question, when you read Masquerade, do you get that same impression? No. Well, why? I feel like it's the tone of the writing. Honestly, it's not. It's a game, right? Requiem is a demand for death. It's a demand for more mature role play. That's what it is. Read the material and you get it. That's why a lot of people have an issue with it. It's being thrown into the deep end, figuring out a complex idea. But Masquerade was, you know, we want to just beer and pretzels it, right? None of that in there is stopping me from doing it. However, okay, so this is a more in-depth look to it. This is the psychology of a vampire, a term you don't get into unless you're in Clan Malkavian in Masquerade. I don't care what your psychology is. This here is telling you how do you role play handling the enormity of forever, handling yep. the depression of outliving everybody you've ever mm-hmm. known and things like that. But who says it's depressing, right? I, I, I don't. I'm not saying this book doesn't. This book clearly outlines where it is. I'm saying for me, I rise above it every time. I see it as a challenge. You make me immortal. Watch what fun happens. If I like my friend enough, I make him one of me, right? Why be without him? They could be forever. And, you know, to clarify that as well, it's, it's, uh, it's something that, to there in what Brent Ryan mentions, it's the seed in the back that gives you a reason to interact every single time. It gives you purpose to it. Pick a fight with that person. Why? Because it's fucking better than not doing anything at all, right? Every evening I wake up, there's got to be a reason to do something, which forces you as the player, right, to get into that mentality of that character to be like, something must be better than doing nothing at all. Something must be better than what I got brought into right now. And it's like the, the spark that fuels every other action. What it sounds like is the kids on Olympus, right? <laughs> Think about it. if we did the if we did the teen years of Mount Olympus, 
and you were Zeus, and all your all your little demon your de- mm-hmm. demi kids are running around, uh-huh. and they're like, yep. Zeus, daddy, we're bored. Well, we got all this time, and we're forever. It's like nothing to do. Can we go message your mortals? No, they're mine. <laughs> Stop it. Like no, but we want to do something. We got forever. We got to do something. I don't know. Go figure it out. And that's it's a little humor there, but that's often how I feel reading it. Right, I go through the material like you need to be lonely, you need to be this. I'm like, man, I'm too active for all this. I ain't got time to wallow in my cave somewhere <laughs> about my fangs and whatever. I got, I'm gonna go use them. Didn't you ever want to be God at Dance Dance Revolution? I know I did. Step Up Four kind of came out. I wanted choreography. I want to be in a dance video. I mean, this sounds silly, and we're off res. But when I ever think of the the psychology establishment, it enables me to think of endless ideas for concepts. Yep. Right. I clearly don't sound like someone who's up for an elder feel. Have you have you guys have had those players who want to play an elder but don't understand what that means? Because to play an elder to them is to have the high level disciplines and that's it. All the time. Have you ha- how'd you handle that argument? Or well discussion. I mean typically it ends in arguments, but it starts as discussion. The discussion is usually so you woke up this evening, what do you reflect upon? And that's usually what makes them stop for a moment, pause and go like, You're right, I haven't really thought this through yet. And I'll be like, All right, and then comes the discussion about like let, let's see where you actually do fit into the story i'm, I'm gonna throw brent oh, the boat here. Well, I, mean, I couldn't tell you were pointing at so i'm watch. sorry no no, no 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 i wasn't pointing at you i was just, just doing it i was like oh, and i remember brent trying to have a character and it's a it's a certain character for the sabbat and the guy's old right he's he's older than almost everybody in that group right not by a whole lot but he's old enough and in that group he gets these points and he has this whatever he builds his character and it's like okay so what's this dude's story what he has going on it's like i'm a coach all right what's coach oh. do because coach coach wins games. That's what coach does. But I sat there. I was like, okay. I started seeing these lights come on. As Brentran's like, crap, I didn't meet the deadline. <laughs> and he noticed it. And here I am trying to fit. And I really didn't have it. And he gets the stuff into me later. But the point is, it makes me think about this. That how many times have we been <clears throat> in a character process where we thought of the concept, thought of the job, everything under the sun. We didn't think of the emotional makeup that everybody gets saddled with. This is asking you without asking you, how do you handle being forever? on an emotional basis. Um, do you, I was joking about suicide. I want to make this very clear. I think it's a very serious thing mm-hmm. that mankind has had to deal with its entire existence. So I also feel I'm free to joke with it because many comedians still do and they're not in jail. <laughs> but the point is here, what I'm using it towards here, what I'm using it towards here specifically is that that feel of vampires, though, I mean this in a very healthy fashion. If you're a player and you have a vampire who, I'll use the actual example. I did have a player in Masquerade who played a vampire who we went through the RP of them trying to kill themselves. In fact, that was the point of the character. Their sire was watching from afar this sort of sick process of them dealing with sunlight burns, and they had a they had a child relying on them, had to watch her husband try to raise this child, saw them in a hungry fashion, didn't want to go to them, that push me, pull me, that t- it was a very terrible situation that was very cool to listen and watch her harden up in her role play. Right? The fact that she could root for her child from afar as they grew and and see her husband actually wake up every day with a smile on his face, but still had her phone ring every single night of him calling her and him leaving another heartfelt message because he doesn't know where she is and she didn't come home. And the police said, she's not coming home. She just left you. And that's because there was no foul play Mm -hmm. and having to deal with that. That's heavy. That's very heavy and weighty. And I was like, man, we hit some cool points that nobody ever talks about. That's not fun. That's not fun for everybody. It was fun for us because it's the drama of the situation. that's very real. And in Requiem, it points out, if you don't think for a second that there aren't people who go, I just ate my neighbor's dog. As funny as that is, you broke down and ate a dog, and you know unequivocally exactly what you are Mm -hmm. now. Why wouldn't you throw yourself in front of a car? 
why wouldn't you try something? And the answer is it comes down to the perspective of each individual character that's made. For some people, that's not a thing to do. For some, they would feel that a heroic charge to do so. There are vampires that walk into the sun, right? Requiem almost tells you to address that you can't walk away from a masquerade. Really just want to step in those uncomfortable toes. It's a difference in delivery, right? And I agree with you. It's the way it's written. And to that, that depth is here. And it's something you have to consider. And according to them in the Gilded Cage, that is why you have people in social support of each other. Because you're helping them realize they're not human. Mm -hmm. They're not human. I want to hammer this home. You're a predator. A predator does not think of self-checkout. No, no, no. That's not their intent. The human in you might understand the monster you are, but that enhances the role play of that darkness inside versus the humanity you have and why you don't want to become what's inside mm-hmm. of you. You know, you fight it as long as you can find ways to deal. That's an unspoken complexity. I hope we nailed here because it, because it is here. I've heard you guys talk about it. I don't think you quite could articulate it, but uh, hopefully we, and we nailed it here for everybody else. And that was a question we were asked. Um, rolling it on down though. Um, they get into Havens. Book's pretty good in talking mm-hmm. about Haven. I found it weird. In fact, tell me why it's important. Like, why Why would you make a distinction of talking about the, we know vampires burn in sunlight. I'll just, I'll just right. cut to the chase. So how do they prevent from doing it, right? This was, I, I like this section as well, Bob, because it, it gave you some basic ideas about a Haven, right? It's just a place a vampire can stay in to not burn in the sun. But it also laid it out in ways like I didn't think. I didn't expect before because it was so simple, right? Like you, you got turned last night. Your house isn't sunproof. Your house is not going to be a good haven, right? So it goes through that um, in some, uh, which I thought was diabolical and loved absolutely. Some sires actually use that against their new children, right? They, their new children have to live with them or live in a place that they set up for them because they literally can't survive anywhere else. Is just another form of control, right? And that's something I've never seen mm. explained or even honestly thought of. And uh, and I do look forward to using it at some point. <laughs> so Cyrus Hospitality has mentioned in this book is, is is talking about the fact that when you refer to a haven, they're they're not. You're absolutely right. They they weren't referring to at least I read the same thing you did and didn't get that impression. They were like, no, it's not about the wood mm-hmm. that prevents the sun. This is everything about whether or not a sire came along and helped you along in your existence. Whether they're giving you hospitality under their roof and thus their rules, their guidance is what it's referring to. And it's a ventrue custom apparently still. I find that ironic, and it's a good head nod to the masquerade, where it is a tradition, right, that is also a venture custom as well. And so that similarity should be welcoming to everybody universally to know that those ties are here. They're out there throughout Requiem, actually, in very critical spots, in, in cool spots, shouldn't say critical, cool spots, they give that flavor of same um, that's there. Here's the difference. In Requiem, they talk about that it's a dated custom, and thus a source that's, that's railed mm-hmm. against. Apparently, there are neonates who feel it's wrong that they have to be under their sire's roof for one century. I have a feeling a lot of those right. saying that are Karkian, but uh, yeah, I mean, I can see where they're coming from, right? <laughs> Especially with uh, uh, someone embraced now with someone a sire from 200 years ago with like all the all the cultural differences between then and now. That's another thing I've never seen played out and I would love to see someone embraced from like 1700s with those old school hospitality ideas, embracing some 18 year old like from now. And like the the clashes that would result from that, or like the at least the personality differences at first, it probably would look a lot like slavery. I, w- I really wish you oh, hadn't said pausing. that. <sighs> Wouldn't it? Think about it. If I just in, let's let's not even worry about the age. If I just embraced you from the modern era and I came from three centuries back, what I say goes. What are you going to do about it? Yep. Not a lot. Nothing. Not a thing. You could do nothing. 
I move faster than you. I'm stronger than you. That's great. You can, or you can yell. Yell as loud as you want. I soundproof the wall. Who's going to help Why? you? I have victims. Right? <laughs> I have victims, right? I feed. <laughs> right? You, you're you're going to have victims, <laughs> you know? And I, and I call them tantrums, right? Because what you don't know is that I, the sire, as I lock you in your room again for the 20th year, because <laughs> you keep throwing these tantrums, I step outside and go, he just doesn't listen to me. <laughs> Pietro, help me. He doesn't understand what is going on. He doesn't get it. Heavy is the heart of his sire. I love him, but he does not listen. Disobedient whelp. I need him because he needs to learn to use a sword to beat your bastard children in a duel because I lost the chess game and refused to acknowledge I lost it. And we have this duel amongst our children to decide once and for all at court who is right and who is wrong. Why? You get a little crazy when you're an anchoristic. A little bit. Just a little, a little bit. bit of competitive, right? But I'm just, I love that analogy because it should be played more. Things like that are freaking great. They're so entertaining, right? Um, I hope that the, that show is it. What we do in uh-huh. the shadows enlightens a lot of people to laugh, but also pick up that there's there's a lot of nuance that isn't discussed and used. You know, can't all be cool vampires, but can be cool players. Just saying. Um, moving on, though. From Havens, we understand that that's referring to a hospitality of sires and red approach, but then we got domains of the dead. Mm-hmm. And here I was like, okay, great. But uh, what are they getting at? I mean, it seems more. We know what a domain. We know what a demens or demesni, whatever you pronounce it. Uh, we know what a domain is. What is? Why, why does Requiem have a focus on it? Because um, I'll take this one. So once again, as we were mentioning, all domains are different than what you think they are, and especially because there is no overarching sect to kind of control everything or give you that structure. This is where you're at. It also tells you that domain in, in Requiem is a little bit differently. I mean, it, it'd be impossible to think that, and especially considering how vampires are. Let's even just take New York City. You got Manhattan, but what about the other five boroughs? Mm-hmm. That might not all be for one prince alone. So what is that prince or how are those vampires going to act in that particular domain? Do you break it down a little bit more? How, how far does it stretch? And it gives you ideas of how to be able to, to approach those situations. So if I'm hearing that correct, um, we'll just keep it with New York. If uh, there's five boroughs to hold down and prince takes Manhattan, one prince took Manhattan, he would maybe, I don't know, give out domain, we'll say, to Queens. Try to establish strength by giving a strong coterie queens or give somebody a court who's an elder space because maybe he's impacting territory mm-hmm. of mine. Manhattan's not big enough to have two two of us, but I know I'm I'm older than you, thus by an anachronistic point of view of, of, of hierarchy. Because that's a kind of a thing they have in Requiem still there. It's almost mm-hmm. feudal in nature yeah. a bit, depending on where you're at. Um, or pretty common, I should say. Then maybe I say, Hey, you, Elder X, take care of Queens. We'll see you once a month in Manhattan when needed. Right. And they they have a they have a special term for this in in the book to differentiate it right to give it some some a uh, little bit more weight calling it like a regency right and with this like as as DJ said uh, a prince or whoever is running it right prince archbishop board member whatever uh, would grant regency to queens and that that group whoever runs it may have carte blanche may have some um, like gotchas that you can't they can't do for that domain. But they could run it as they pleased. If it's given to one person, it could be like another, you know, this prince or count or whatever owes fealty to that prince. Or that person, if it's a coterie, they could have a board set up, right? If it's like, it could be Sanad. I'm getting like kind of into like pedantic with that. But I think that's all. That's honestly one of the coolest things about Requiem to me, right? The the variability, how different every domain would be from each other. Well, to hold this all in seems taxing. Like I like to think always of uh, Prince Maxwell in Chicago, uh, because that was the ba- that was the biggest shock for me in Requiem was the transition mm-hmm. over. But I was excited to see Maxwell was a chosen mm-hmm. name and mm-hmm. really personality. 
uh, if it went right because it didn't work in, in Masquerade. Apparently, a revamp and slap on, and it worked fine with a new coating of paint and Requiem for him to be what he is. And even the venture seemed cooler, yeah, uh, by default, right? More primal, more animalistic, which is uh, I don't know, I always like the dominating lion aspect, we'll just put it that way. And that's what Maxwell always rings out to me. But there's another prospect too, he has uh, was it Solomon Birch is a character too that they use in canon, wrote novels, things mm-hmm. like that. A uh, very terrifying figure, but I never. I had trouble always getting down the fact that, okay, Maxwell's Invictus, and we heard about them, and uh, his hierarchy is very much seems to be um, feudal and base, right, which is fine. But then you have Solomon Birch that holds clout within his uh, covenant, and that's great, but then at court, he's a primogen, mm-hmm. and if, if that's a thing, and all right, good, we're here, um, why does it always seem that he's more powerful than that in the Invictus, right? There's more fear. There's more fear. I will, I will stop pulling that thread. It's yeah. because they're written through fear. Maxwell's reputation is the is the Invictus. The Invictus say so mm-hmm. he is, and he maintains that. However, Solomon Birch is clutch in how he holds that city domain where it is. So the whole city of Chicago's under thumb is because Birch is a terrifying figure. Like his displays, it, it's showing the prince's displeasure. Uh, I forget the author's name, but one day we might get to those. Um, was written beautifully to me. It made me fall in love with Requiem to read the novels mm-hmm. for Requiem uh, because these characters were were gritty. They were grimy. They were, uh, Birch is someone you never wanted to fall into the clutches of because he would convince you that the pain he's in, he's forcing you through was meant to make you better. And, and you would, you would see his wisdom in the end. You always want to avoid people who do that, <laughs> you know, strangers with candy. Um, that's one, that's one of the ways, but then Maxwell was even more terrifying. Why? It had nothing to do with what he would do to you. It's the idea of what he might do to you. We're talking rule by fear, right? Good old, was it Nicola Machiavelli's the prince? Is it better to be loved or better to be feared? And, and naturally, it's better to be feared. Why? Those who love you will always seek to betray you because they believe you would forgive them for the slight. However, if they fear you, no one will ever think to even betray you for a second because they have the thought they will believe that everything they do will be noticed from that point forward against you. Maybe you do, maybe you don't, but the point is they'll never act on it because they know the result. It will lead to their failure, something bad for them. So it's better to be feared is what it comes down to. Interesting. Does that work for vampires, though, in particular in Requiem? I would say if that approach worked, then the Carthians probably wouldn't exist. Uh, it, I think that's a it's something I love, especially my Nosferatu princes, right? Or any Nosferatu that uh, that has any piece uh, portion of power. But uh, especially for a story based game, that is always going to lead to a conflict um, should, I think, in my opinion. But it also does work, right? Because we've also seen where you could push out certain covenants because of that fear alone. There's no way you're going to step up, you know, in certain locations to say, oh, the Carthians are going to come. If they could, they would. Yeah. <laughs> and even more so than that, they know better than to walk into that city because they know what the end result would mm-hmm. be, right? Even throwing it to someone like a ghost of a dial in, uh, in, uh, in New Orleans, he's okay. a scary dude himself. And he's, he's like, hey, and he keeps tight rule and it's that fear of what happens mm-hmm. right so it is a definite vile way of controlling your domain the the carthians are an interesting prospect because that's that's almost a throw to there are a lot of people firebrand types players who enjoy playing something just rebellious some sort of fire in them to fight the status quo they never have the forethought to realize where that ends up ever it's fantastic you want to be a rebel um do you understand who you're going against no you're talking about a guy who was willing to kill his entire family to make sure that his immortality was guaranteed so you had no weakness against them. He goes to his uh, mausoleum nightly to beg apology from his wife and his, his dead child. His son, by the way, bore his name. And he does it to deny them the existence that he is, uh, is alone in, in, in an own form of his hell. 
Um, that's what he did to maintain his rule. All you did was show up at a bar, bitch, and get into a fight with three other friends of yours so you could be heard. Are you really playing the same field, and do you wish to incur that man's wrath? Do you understand the depth he's willing to go to because his is demonstrated? Yours is merely talked about with fiery repose and oratory. And that is the, that is the difference, right? And so to me, um, cartoons are cool for that too, because that's where you go when, um, well, let me just say it. The Carthians are the Bruja to me every time I hear about them. Cool name, bro. Same feel, right? No difference. Now, the clan can be whatever you want, but if that social structure of the Bruja feels is what it is, right? Whether you're railing about Carthage, you're railing about some other time, or railing about the fact that this political type should work in any given mm-hmm. domain, the Carthians are going to figure it out and they're going to try. And I think that that is more than on purpose. Because when we think of rule by fear, they're always going to rail against, why do we need fear at all? It's a great philosophical conversation. Mm-hmm. It's a great thing to get into. But you're going to find that amongst predators, might makes right every time. Unless you have blackmail. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that, that's how it is, right? That's typically how it goes. One way or the other. Um, not to say that Kindred can't uh, feel love. We'll get into that at some mm-hmm. other time. Uh, but here we talk about the anachronism ascendant. Um, ruled by fear, the Carthians are pissed off because they don't agree with the fact that there's still this outdated mechanism that says just because you're older means you should be in charge in some capacity. That's 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 BS. But again, we're back to that whole thing. Brentron walked right into it when he said, yeah, well, how would you feel if you were, you know, let's let's say I'm 18 embraced like 10 years ago and I'm still under my sire's thumb for another 90 years. I can't leave this haven. <laughs> I can't go do what I want. Guess what? What can I what can I do? What can you do about it? Nothing. Not a thing. You know, you better hope your Carthian friends could lead a rebellion from the window. <laughs> right? That's what it is. Why? Because your sire's like, now, now, come away. You know the deal. Why? You're bloodbound over here. Right? Why? Only, only for 90 more years. It's not that bad. I was three centuries. My sire recently left. <laughs> right? You never know. <laughs> really close family ties around here. That's. <laughs> It's the thing. You know, <laughs> I think you've got it bad. Um, uh, that, but but what they're saying is, is that that's BS and that they, they quietly grumble in every domain everywhere about the fact that they would like to see it change. And some people may entertain that fact. For the most part, though, standard is no. The eldest will always rule. Now, that is because of power. I want to add that. You get enough Carthians banding together. There are domains that have been burned down, i.e. They, they removed everyone that wasn't Carthian. And uh, they'll go to war, banding together to do it. And that works definitely every time um, versus uh, any strength. And uh, that's a, it's an important point to nail uh, because that's 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 still fear, though. Yeah, it is. Right? Like that's the thing to point out. All the Carthian propaganda they spew out. There is never a Carthian revolution that's run through just propaganda or a debate. It's when that Carthian tide sweeps across the domain. That's how it do. And unfortunately, we definitely here in America felt a bit of that. And um, you see how it works now. Uh, or France did it first, I guess. Like, we got to say that. Hats off. But um, <laughs> ours wasn't over cake. That I'll say. So uh, when we go on to models of ruling in a city. Brentron, you roughly went mm-hmm. through them real quick by mm-hmm. rope. Right. I want to draw focus to them because I want folks to understand this. Hey, w- wait a second. I'm a masquerade player. There's always a prince. Justin Cars, blah, 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 all that. But did you already give you an answer to that, that puzzling quandary? Why is it different in Requiem? Well, number one. Uh, the strings are cut. There is no overarching organization to rule all vampires. Mm-hmm. That's not there. This stems from the fact that they can agree on where the curse came from. They, they don't know. Remember in Rec Room, we got this memory problem. The ages do what mm-hmm. they do. 
and you have to fight. It's almost a, it's its own it's its own encounter and adventure to truly encounter someone would be classified as ancient. Yeah, right. Whereas masquerade, they would be in a boardroom with their assets and dividends and anciently powerful, never have gone into a slumber longer than a century. You know, whatever. Requiem's like, yeah, he just woke up. Oh, certainly he's from Babylon, but uh, he thinks <laughs> he's not certain. He says he is. Maybe he's right or wrong. He's been he's been rambling on. Maybe. He's been talking about the uh, the podcast season. I'm joking. Anyway, so the <laughs> rambling being the key, it was referring to me. Uh, but the point is, it's talking about how there's different ruling types in the mm-hmm. city because there is not a concrete one. And with no strings, you know, you've cut them. What do we deal with then? Well, the typical common one I'll take off the gate and I'm going to leave you guys kind of walk me mm-hmm. through the others. Um, a feudal monarchy, we all understand. It's, it's requiring one person of a significant title like Prince. They're the one that rules. They have people under them, and they have people in their social positions of a lesser title that carry blah, blah, blah. Significance established because the prince says mm-hmm. so. From his largesse, thus is his rule, and he can defend it with his bare hands or her bare hands, depending on how she wants to do it. And that's just what the, uh, the prince missed. That's a feudal monarchy. However, what's the boardroom like? Uh, the boardroom, I'm going to take this one, DJ. Uh, the boardroom is, it's kind of like how it sounds, right? I want you to imagine the board of a of a uh, corporation, right? Or if you're like uh, politically active of like your, your local group, right? It's, there is a group of people that sit at a table and typically there is one person that is chairman of the group, right? Heading the discussion. It is a group of people ruling that domain. Uh, now that can take a number of different uh, iterations based on who is using the boardroom. Invictus can do that and they'll run it like literally a corporation. Carthians can do that and it'll run like the um, what, what, what ran the Soviet Union? The Secretariat? Something like that, right? You, you know <laughs> what I mean. Yep. Like a, a collection of politically charged individuals. Um, Ordo Dracul could do it if they ever ran a city and that would be more academically put together, right? Like more like a council of, of scientists. But so, so boardroom is literally a corporate right. boardroom. Okay. So the title is made up, but to a style of corporate. Okay. And uh, what about diocese? Diocese, excuse me. The, the diocese is exactly what you get annotations mm-hmm. from. It has much more of this uh, mortal kindred combination of, of being a community of sorts. But typically, it's normally run by the like Lankea, uh, Lankea and or the crone. And it's all how they build it. There's a religious overtone. There's a, the, your archbishop or cardinal at the top, and it starts moving its way down. It's just a um, purpose of its structure, but it's all tied into a particularly ruling co- covenant. In this case, most likely, as was mentioned, the Lankea and or the Circle of the Crown. Now, with these title differences, do they have role assignment? Like we can, we, it's, mm-hmm. A prince is a prince, an archbishop is an archbishop, or does the archbishop have a role different from the prince? It depends on domain. If, if you want that exact example, uh, th- there would be a, a large one. I would think, right, if someone has the title of an archbishop, there are a lot of religious specific duties, right, of leading the the masses, right, versus uh, they, they probably wouldn't ever hold an actual court like a prince would, right? Anything that comes up and... You're referring to religious right. mass, not the masses yes, as in throngs exactly. of people. Yes. Uh, yeah. Sorry for not that qualifier, but um, maybe, maybe anything that needs to be addressed to the archbishop is actually filtered up through all the other priests in that uh, ladder, right? Versus in a in the monarchy that you brought up, it could be as we're all used to a prince holds court. Someone that has a, a an issue brings it towards uh, the prince in a timely, orderly manner. I'm going to sign a in that case. Exactly. Yeah. Hmm. That does make that an interesting thing. Um, the final being the easiest one. It's by the kindred <laughs> for the kindred. And we know that just call them Bruja, uh, right? To, They're there. We get the <laughs> mentality. 
We understand that what that is. We understand what this is. This means that no one kindred rules everybody has right. a say. This is literally the ideal that, that is espoused, right? This is anarchy in and of mm-hmm. itself, right? Everyone's free, but we are for community, which is us, right? For the kindred, by the kindred. You're as equal as any elder out here. I, I do want to talk about going to this a little bit more because this is my favorite thing about the Carthians. The Carthians' enemy is not the Invictus. It is always the status quo. In that section, it will talk about how these institutions never last, and even if one form of democracy is replaced with another form of democracy by the Carthians, it is a constant change that occurs. It will never stay. They just keep iterating or building, ripping it down to build something else up. That is a, that is an intrinsic part of, um, well, of that form of ruling a domain. Hmm. It's an interesting part. It's an interesting part of that for certain. Um, I think right now we're going to take this as a lot to mm-hmm. digest, right? Um, we, we warned that there were complexities in Requiem to understand that this is not going to be fast and it shouldn't be. Uh, because we want to do one thing, establish understanding. We may be going over the book, reviewing, for those of you who prefer that term. Not really. Uh, what we're doing is establishing a level of understanding into something we love. All three mm-hmm. of us love this. We hope you guys do too. And as we go through this, we want you to see the differences. Today we learn about the psychology, the social reasons. Uh, Bob makes inappropriate jokes sometimes <laughs> about things. And uh, that I did, dude, I, I stand on it and I hope, it, you know, sometimes what I say doesn't get edited. That won't get edited. I hope um, I'm, I'm a humorous guy. I love humor and everything, but when and where. And uh, I kind of want Requiem to not get the distinction that was thrown at me that it can be depressing. And I was trying to highlight like, well, it can if mm-hmm. you let it. Right. It's just a game. Yes. Like you said, Brentron, passionately, you know, well, don't play this game then. You ain't good enough. Bubba. No, not eh, what eh, I meant. Not, not what I meant. That's not how I feel if, about if, it. If, that's not how I feel about it. Yeah. Sorry, if, if I gave the impression of you're not good enough for it, that's not at all what I meant in, in any way. It's not about not good enough. It's not about not good enough. What I'm saying is that there's a mentality when playing. The mentality when playing should be too fun. Mm-hmm. No matter yes. how passionate Always. or how or how distant you are from your role play, it should be to have fun. And in, and in that goal and in that vein, they just made a dark game because it's a dark game. Folks, this is a horror role playing game. Never lose that thought. I think a lot of people forget that. And you're looking for something else. Or, and specifically, why is there romance? It's gothic horror as well. There's, there's a whole genre of emotions mm-hmm. that, go, that go into that thing that you've got to mm-hmm. take into account. You can't just have what you like and jump through and then chastise someone because they're playing differently than you. Got to welcome them in. This goes both ways, right? I like Requiem for that because it opens that door very much so in the Chronicles. Does it open that door for, for all styles uh, to meet in the middle? Um, so next week, we're going to kick it back up and we're going to start talking about common mm-hmm. law. Now, we talked a lot about laws, but folks, you understand why this is an interesting apple we're chewing on. It's we went over covenants a bit to know that they're there. Well, then we went over domains. And wait a second. Domains have different styles of being ran. It's not just about a prince. But wait a second. There's common law. And I promise you there is a prince. Right. There is a reason this stuff is referred to. And we're going to get into that a bit. And uh, it'll be a lot of fun. So I'm going to thank you both once again for walking me through. And, uh, well, correcting and adding too. I appreciate it. Yeah. Love being here. My pleasure. All right, folks. Uh, we'll see you next week. Uh, next week. Yes, next week. I was getting my podcast switched around in my head. So <laughs> thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to our 25 years of Vampire the Masquerade podcast. If you liked what you heard, please reach out and let us know on Twitter at 25 years of VTM at our email info at 25 years VTM.com on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash 25 years VTM or on our website www.25yearsvtm.com If you would like to support us, we can be found at patreon.com 
slash 25 years of Vampire the Masquerade.